This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, October 20th. I'm Samantha Sharis. The Heritage Foundation unveiled its 2023 Index of U.S. Military Strength this week. It's a document of nearly 600 pages that examines and assesses the strength of America's military. Joining the podcast today to discuss this report and more is Dakota Wood, a senior research fellow in the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. We'll get to my conversation with Dakota right after this. Conservative women, conservative feminists. It's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to politics and policy. Plus, we bring you an exclusive interview with a problematic lawmaker or conservative activist every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. And we are also problematic on social media, so be sure to follow us on Instagram. Joining the podcast today is Dakota Wood. He is a senior research fellow in the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. Dakota, thank you so much for joining us. Just a great pleasure. Thanks for having me on and looking forward to chatting. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about this um, Heritage Foundation report that was unveiled this week. It's the 2023 Index of U.S. Military Strength. Can you tell us a little bit about this report? It's a report card, right? I mean, it, you know, if you just think about daily living, you know, so you're in school, you go the entire year, and then you get your grades at the end. So it's kind of a retrospective. You know, how did you do in that specific year? Uh, annual report card doesn't look at what you did 10 years ago, and it doesn't forecast what you're mm-hmm. going to do 10 years from now, right? So in our index, we score or measure the status of American military power in that year that's just passed. Over years, you can start to see trends and you can see the implications for the United States and our foreign policy and economic health and those sorts of things based on the findings that we have in each report. But but I think it's the easiest way to think about it, you know, mm-hmm. is how do the Army do, you know, the Navy, the Air Force, the military services, and what was the nature of the world? You know, mm-hmm. a nice place, an evil place, are the bad guys badder, are they less bad? And so we try to capture all of that in this single report. Yeah, absolutely. It was very fascinating to read. Um, It's about 600 pages long, so um, it really gives uh, some really good insight into the military strength um, for the United States. And you talked about trends. Um, How does the U.S. military compare from from this you know, index from this year to last year and even uh, the prior year. Yeah, unfortunately, the trend lines are almost all down. And so, you know, what are those lines? Well, do you have a military that is big enough and has sufficient capacity? So if all we had to worry about was Canada, and Canada's a great friend, well, you don't need any military at all, right? Uh, in the Cold War, uh, the monolithic Soviet Union, you could kind of focus on one capital and one military structure on a global scale, but it was a single actor. Uh, today, you've got Russia and China and North Korea and Iran scattered all over the place, uh, instabilities in various regions. And so we think that this capacity issue, how much military you have, is really, really important. Uh, it continues to shrink. Mm-hmm. That's a bad trend line. Um, the equipment you have, right? So it's modernity or it's capability. 
am I working with old stuff or new stuff? Again, trend line bad. Mm-hmm. Almost all of the equipment in numbers uh, is very, very old. And that's not just a few years. It's like measured in decades. You know, the average age of an Air Force fighter is 32 years old, wow. if you can imagine that. Or ICBMs, the ballistic missiles mm-hmm. in our nuclear inventory, Minuteman Three were brought into service in 1973. Wow. And they were only meant to hang around for about 10 years, and here we are 50 years later, mm-hmm. right? And then the third trend line would have to do with readiness. So I can have you know good or bad equipment. I can have a small force or a big force, but are the people training, you know, shooting and driving and flying and those things sufficient to be competent in their skill sets? Again, a negative trend line. Mm-hmm. You know, they just aren't doing those things enough to really be proficient. The people are great. They're just working with old gear, and there's not enough of it. Well, you just talked about these negative trend lines. Was there anything from this report that showed or pointed to uh, the military strong point? Yeah, so there's a growing recognition in the services. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, whether it's a sports team or in a family or military unit, you, you kind of want to put the best face on things. You want to buck up morale, encourage people, be very optimistic. And so what we have usually is the services saying, we got it. We understand the threat. We can protect America. Uh, we got some challenges, but by, you know, dent of good spirit and bravery and all that, we can get the job done. So it oftentimes masks bad things. What we're seeing now is waking up to the reality of a small force with old equipment not able to train enough, and you've seen what Russia did in Ukraine with this invasion. The Russians have performed poorly, but even with that, the amount of destruction, the munitions that have been used, the casualties, you know, the toll and death, mm-hmm. it's still a really big thing. And then you look at China's you know, discussions about Taiwan, you look at Iran trying to get nuclear weapons and all that. And so the, the strong points are a growing awareness and willing to admit mm-hmm. among the services that there are some challenges um, you know, that we need to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, among the services, the Marine Corps really came out big. Uh, we gave it a strong rating. It's still way too small in our view and based on historical analysis for where it should be, mm-hmm. but they've got a solid plan. They're reorienting to conventional warfare as opposed to counterinsurgency or counterterrorism. What does it mean to project naval power? And there are being some dramatic changes in the service. Uh, some of them are very controversial, but at least they've got a plan and they're moving forward. The other services uh, almost can't seem to get out of their own way, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they're not scrambling for missions. They know what they need to do, mm-hmm. but making decisions on how you go about preparing for the future, what things you need to buy, how are you focusing your training, uh, not really strong points mm-hmm. there. You brought up a number of our adversaries, um, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. Um, uh, There are so many sections in this report that kind of broke down the different military capabilities and the strength of specifically China and their military, um, what they've been able to accomplish um, over the last couple of years and even within the last year. Uh, From your perspective, how do we as the United States reverse our course of this negative downward trend? 
well, money is going to be part of it, but I want to fixate on the money thing. So before we get into that, you know, you've, you've brought up some wonderful things about the index. You know, it's the length, 600 pages almost, and all these other sections. You, you don't read this from front to back, mm-hmm. right? So we've structured the index in a way that if you're interested in China, mm-hmm. there is a section on China, and you could just go to that, you know, and it's 15 pages long or whatever. Um, so you can pick and choose the things that you're interested in and then dive deep on that. Mm-hmm. It was structured that way intentionally. So then when we look at this competition between China and the United States and our, our various uh, uh, military power comparisons, money is a big aspect of this, right? So during the Cold War, again, it's a great reference point about a global contest against some serious competitor. Uh, we were spending about five, five and a half percent of the gross domestic product GDP. Today, we're spending 3% or thereabouts. And the money that is uh, brought into the Defense Department is usually wrangled and argued over in the preceding mm-hmm. year, and then they finally get it. Uh, well, if today we're dealing with 8 to 9% inflation, well, the money that was allocated a year ago mm-hmm. just doesn't buy as much. And then also kind of hidden in all this stuff is that to buy a similar sort of thing today that would have replaced something that you bought 30 years ago, accounting for inflation, it's still five times as expensive mm-hmm. just because sensors are better, so your equipment has to be better protected. We want greater precision. You know, If you launch a missile, is it going to kill a bunch of innocents or does it go right to an enemy command post? And all those things are just inherently more expensive. So this money aspect of getting the force that you want and enabling you to train, you know, fuel, the price of fuel for planes and ships and trucks is much more expensive than it was a year or two ago. Are you going to spend that money or not? Mm-hmm. Right. And so we just need, uh, you know, the offsided 5% more than the rate of inflation to start digging out of these holes. And then the other aspect to this would be the attitude of the American public to think that military stuff is mm-hmm. valuable. Mm-hmm. And you have probably seen lots of headlines about the recruiting challenges yes. of the services. So, you know, the Army fell something like 20,000, 15 or 20,000 soldiers short, about 25% of their recruiting goal for this year. And so you have a shrinking Army. Mm-hmm. The other services have had similar sorts of problems. So more funding to replace the old gear and to be able to train. And then having our society think that, that military power, not because it's you know aggressive and we're trying to dictate and conquer, but to protect yourself mm-hmm. and to protect your interests and to meet treaty obligations, it, it's an essential component of a nation being able to decide what it wants to do mm-hmm. instead of being dictated to by others. And so I think we've lost a sense of that and this idea of serving the country, serving in the military, and and the nobility of that mm-hmm. that effort. Absolutely. And as we're talking about the military, it would be um, difficult to have this conversation without thinking about our commander-in-chief, President Biden. And if he were hypothetically sitting here right now, what would be your number one fact or takeaway from the report that you would want to share with him? In spite of his insistence and his advisors that combating climate change is the most important activity and that diversity is our greatest strength, I would say that on a battlefield, it really comes Mm -hmm. down to tanks, ships, weapons, and a well-trained force. So if we think that we want to support Taiwan, 
defending itself against a potential invasion or takeover by China, or you want to assist the Ukrainians who have just been doing amazing things in fighting back against uh, this horrific aggression by Russia. If you want to be able to do that, you have to have a military force that can do military things in a military way, right? I know that sounds simplistic, but it seems to have just escaped the understanding of President Biden and, and his advisors. You know, they're more interested in electrifying uh, the military department, right, the Department of Defense, and harnessing its energies to combat climate change and making sure that the makeup uh, reflects America's diversity, even at the expense of mm-hmm. military competence in you know, the services, that, that I think that their perspectives are just so wildly divergent from the reality of global affairs, national security. I mean, look what's going on domestically, even on our border, mm-hmm. right? So take that as uh, as an analogy and apply it to their worldview and how we deal with a near nuclear Iran, the crazy guy in North Korea, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, President Xi over in China who's going to get you know get a third five year term mm-hmm. and probably be premier for life. And uh, and it's just they're just mistaken in their understanding. Yeah, and you just brought up uh, President Xi. Just on uh, Sunday of this week, he re-upped his calls to uh, reunify Taiwan. I say that in quotes, reunify Mm. uh, Taiwan and China. And as you also mentioned earlier with uh, this report, there is a section that's dedicated to, uh, you know, China, Iran, uh, North Korea, specifically talking about China. How does the U.S. military compare to uh, what we could potentially uh, face if we went to, you know, war with China? So a Navy comparison is representative of a larger comparison. Uh, We have a Navy that I just checked this morning, 292 ships. In the report, we say 298. But between the time that was written and where we are today, we've lost six. Wow. It's just, you know, the decommissioning Mm -hmm. of platforms, and you're doing that faster, and you're bringing in new ones. So 292. But let's round that to 300. In the Cold War, we had nearly 600 ships. Back then, you kept about 100 deployed on a daily basis. Today, we still keep 100 deployed. So you've got half the Navy doing Mm -hmm. the same amount of work. It's going to wear out your ships and and crews. Of those 100, about 60 are in the Indo-Pacific, so on a daily basis. China has gone from 215 or 220 ships uh, just 15 years ago or so to 360, I believe, is where they're at. So our 60 ships at sea versus China's 360, that's a six to one disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And then China's operating just a couple of hundred miles from its coastline. I mean, how close is Taiwan? You know, you can almost see each other, right? Um, Our ships are operating six or 7,000 miles from the United States, you know, and very few ports in close proximity. So I know it's a long-winded explanation, but when you take a six to one disadvantage, and you'd see that China can use all this land-based stuff for a naval fight, cruise missiles and aircraft and these other sorts of things, this numbers game really is important. And they're able to invest money in missiles and short-range systems, so their equivalent dollar goes further. Mm-hmm. We have to invest in platforms that can transit the Pacific Ocean and operate thousands of miles from home. So, again, money then comes into about – is it important enough to support Taiwan or Japan or South Korea or the Philippines against a major opponent that has more equipment, is producing modern gear at a much higher rate than the United States is, 
and has a geographic advantage because it's working in its own neighborhood and we're you know operating at we're playing the away game you know operating at distance and uh, and I think we just haven't reconciled the cost of of preserving and, and protecting your interests when that fight is so far away from home yeah definitely that is uh, super interesting I know uh constant tension between Taiwan and, and China and kind of just waiting to see what President Xi is, is going to do next, um, is keeping everyone on the edge of their seats. Uh, Dakota, one final question for you. Um, is there anything about this report that we didn't discuss that you think is important or um, that you want our audience uh, to remember? Uh, statecraft, diplomacy, economic relationships, uh, propaganda in the positive sense, you know, the exchange of ideas and getting your message out there are all important, but they don't replace the effectiveness of military power. And so if other countries see the United States as strong, mm-hmm. they're more willing to stay on our team as opposed to seeking you know, other partners. Uh, look at the bashing that the current uh, Biden administration is laying on Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and yet we've made ourselves more energy dependent on foreign sources. And yet the Saudis, because of all the insults and bashing and whatnot, are seeking greater alliances with China and Russia and, and other countries, right? And so there comes a point where if other countries fail to have confidence in mm-hmm. the United States because of our weakened military posture, then they will seek alliances elsewhere. And so if we want a country that's free, prosperous, you know, safe, if we want economic vitality, if we want a strong business climate, the military component to national power is essential. It's Mm -hmm. not a nice to have. And so that's the overarching message that we try to convey in this. And we use these examples of the status of military power to make the point. Yes, definitely. Uh, Dakota Wood, thank you so much for joining me again. uh, He's a senior research fellow in the Center for National Defense here at the Heritage Foundation. I will include a link uh, to this year's index of U.S. military strength in the show notes. If anyone is interested in reading that, I highly suggest it. Thank you so much, Dakota. Great. What a great pleasure. Thanks. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dakota. If you haven't gotten a chance to already, be sure to subscribe to The Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach even more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read and appreciate all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day, and we'll be back with you all this afternoon for top news. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Samantha Asheris, and Jillian Richards. Sound design by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.